He is the pastor at uh, Horizon, no, Westfield Horizon Christian Fellowship in, is that in Indianapolis? In Indianapolis. Before that, he was, uh, he ran the Bible College at uh, Calvary Chapel Indy. So we've always enjoyed him. Please, please make him welcome. Hey, don't let John fool you, okay? Uh, we can get the rest of these lights on, too, for everybody. Let's see if I can get this working here. There we go. Uh, this was just working. Hey, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 together. Um, I would like to encourage you at our church, three main staples that you have with you at church. Your Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper. I am going to give you some information from the Bible that is going to blow your mind away. And you're going to have to pick up pieces of your brain and put them back in your head. And when you do that, you know what the Bible says that happens? Your mind is renewed. And a revival breaks out in your mind. And when you begin to, when you used to hate people, suddenly you find this weird feeling inside of you that you begin to have love for your enemy. And then when your wife used to bug you all the time, you begin to love her anyways, even though she's like that to you. And what happens is you read the word of God on a regular basis, you begin to act strangely like the Bible. Because the Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you read the Word of God, it's like being stabbed in your heart. And what the Word of God does is it it discerns between your thoughts, your intentions, and your motives. And it reveals them and exposes them to you. And then you begin to go, wow, Lord, I repent. And you acknowledge your mistakes, you acknowledge your hate, you acknowledge your selfishness, you acknowledge your shortcoming, and you say, Lord, I'm going to put on kindness, tenderness, love, and mercy. And you begin acting like that, and your family, your wife, and kids go, who is this man sitting next to me? See, the Word of God becomes living and active and alive in your life. The Word of God doesn't belong on the page on your lap. The Word of God belongs in your life on every single day. And as John said a few things about myself, I've been a Christian for 22 years and I've been in full-time ministry for 20 of those years. And it doesn't mean that I'm special. It doesn't mean that there's anything more talented than me. It just means that God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. And so I walk in the grace of God every day saying, God... You use me despite me. Um, If any of you are familiar with the book of Exodus, Moses was constantly always about excuses and insecurities. And God says it's not about your inabilities or about your abilities. It's about my power residing inside of you. And as we're all gathering every single evening to hear the word of God, it's because we want the word of God to be living and active inside of our life. And that's a revival. Did you know that revival breaks out and it starts in you? Revival is giving love when hate is deserved. Revival is 
giving when people continue to take from you. Revival is doing the right thing when all the wrong things happen to you. Can I encourage you, one of the biggest false doctrines is in the church, besides all the, all the other stuff that you know about, I'm going to trump all the other ones which you may not agree and you're going to say, no, that's not the biggest one. The biggest fallacy in the church is when you do the right thing, the right things will begin happening to you. And it is incorrect because didn't Jesus do all the right things? Where did it get him? Murdered and slaughtered on the cross. So the thing that you need to focus on, that I need to focus on every day is, not are the right things happening to me, is am I doing what the Word of God says? See, you could do the right thing for 10 years and all the wrong things happen to you, right? Isn't that what Job's friends said? Job, it's because all of this is happening to you because... You're in sin. Well, you know, you could do all the right things and all the wrong things happen to you. I don't know about you, but when all the wrong things happen to me, people look at me and they go, boy, God has left too. Wow, is God with you? And then all my family and all my friends, they begin backing away. And they're like, I don't know if I want to hang out with Rich Day. But see, it's not about, is the right thing happening? It's about, I'm doing the right thing even though all the wrong things happen. If you have a pen, write it down. I'm doing all the right things, even though all the wrong things happen to me. The life in Christ I have found is I'm slain all day. I'm taking advantage of all day. I'm persecuted all day. And I'm a sheep before the slaughter. And see, what we want in this world is health, wealth, prosperity. We have all the right things happening. I never get sick. I don't die. My, my, my mortgage is always paid. My car never gets a flat. Isn't that the way we want life? But that isn't the way life happens. See, Jesus suffered and he died. And the biggest thing I'm going to bring to you throughout these three nights that I'm going to be with you tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday is the life of God is doing the right thing despite all the wrong things happening. Because everything wrong happened to Jesus, but he acted the right way, and he fulfilled the Father's will. Now, the disciples were looking for a physical military messiah. Okay, you're familiar with the Gospels when Jesus was walking around Uh, Jesus gave power and authority to the 12, the 12 apostles, to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. And the bad old disciples, they go out for a few days, they do all these miracles, they come back to Jesus, they tell them all these things that the demons are subject to us, and sickness flees man when we pray over them. And in the next chapter, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And then he tells them to take up your cross. Their brains went tilt. Their brains went haywire, and it fell on the ground. And they go, they go no. And then remember when, G, when Peter rebuked Jesus? Remember when he said he was going to the cross? 
The reason why he rebuked him is because he was looking for a military Messiah to come deliver Israel with a sword. And the twelve were going to be his head honchos with the kingdom of God here on earth. See, they were looking for a military Messiah. They were looking for the Lamb of God to come. I'm sorry, the Lion of the tribe of Judah to come. But they were missing the prophecies in the Old Testament that it was about the Messiah coming as a lamb, as a sheep before the slaughter, to lay down his life that mankind would be forgiven of their sins. And Jesus tried to express this to the disciples, and they didn't get it, and they were confused. And then they saw the Messiah hanging up on the cross. Where were all of them? They split. See, anybody can follow a Messiah that has a sword that's going to conquer Rome and that's going to dominate the whole world and the whole world's going to be at his feet and I'm one of the twelve. Anybody could follow that kind of a leader. But when Jesus, the leader, was slain on the cross, they were all embarrassed. They all split. They all left. And today, people are looking for pastors and evangelists and leaders to follow. They have all your answers they have their life perfectly together. They're financially well. They look well. They're, they're healthy. They, have, they can give you all the answers. They can answer all the questions in the Bible. Anybody can follow that man. But Jesus wants men who are broken, who are lowly, who weep, who grieve at sin, who wrong happens to them all day long, but yet the glory of God shines through their life. Very few people want to follow this type of pastor. And see, here today, as we begin, we're going to look at Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, I want to lay this foundation with you. The only reason why we study the Old Testament is to learn how Jesus fulfilled it all. If I'm teaching you through the Old Testament how to be a good moral person out of the Old Testament... I'm teaching you how to be a converted Jew. I'm teaching you how to be a good moral person. So the main point of teaching through the Old Testament is to discover, oh, Jesus fulfilled, oh, Jesus here again in the Old Testament. Oh, the Father is talking about Jesus going to the cross. Oh, this is the prophecy of Jesus returning with his second coming. The whole reason we journey through the Old Testament is to see how Jesus fulfilled it all. Imagine in your mind, I like to see the Bible and I like to see lessons in pictures. So imagine the Old Testament as a lock. Imagine imagine an old treasure chest uh, that people are looking for. And it's a really big, old, ancient lock. It's rusty. And you can't get in the treasure because the lock is there. And then you find this golden key. This golden key is the New Testament. And when you take the New Testament and you put it into that old lock, you turn it and all the mysteries that no one could understand and fathom are unlocked for you to see as you journey through the Old Testament. In our church, in four, four years, just in the Old Testament alone, we've made, it to, we've made it to 2 Samuel. And we've done something like, I think, uh, 13 New Testament books. In four years. Because we want to discover all the treasures that are in the Bible. Because then you're a walking treasure chest. And as people interact with you, 
the treasure spills out of you and enriches the lives of other people around you. You are a walking bank account. You are a walking representative of God. And when you encounter them, you share the gospel with them and they receive Christ. You help transfer what Christ has put into you. Christ imputed, imputes to them the righteousness of Christ. And you transfer funds through Jesus Christ unto them. And they walk away rich. And they have the riches of heaven eternally in their life. And so you are the answer to this world. You guys watch the news and get a little pensive? I do. I watch it every night. I read all the news articles. I watch all the TV programs. As much as it may wreck me in my mind, I have the Bible of God that teaches me the hope and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, it says that Billy Graham read over five newspapers a day to stay up on what was going on globally in the world. And what I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to show you just where we are on the prophetic time clock today. The whole entire Old Testament tells you all about the church age that we're in today. Did you know the book of Leviticus teaches you about today where you're at? Now, if you want good sleeping material and you want to go to bed early, crack open the book of Leviticus, start reading through it, and you'll have the drool on your page, and you'll wake up nice and early and bright, refreshed for the next day. But the book of Leviticus is one of the greatest books to ever read. But how can you understand the book of Leviticus? You take the key of the New Testament, and you will lock all the hidden mysteries and truths that are in the Old Testament. So we're going to go through meeting Jesus at the feast. There are seven Old Testament feasts in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23 gives seven feasts. And all of these feasts in the Old Testament foreshadow the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to discover all of those tonight. Now, what I'm going to teach you today, I could, t- I could spend five days, I could spend two months on Sundays going through this with you. But I'm going to give you an overview to whet your, whet your spiritual appetite, to begin making you hungry for the Word of God, to say, I never knew the Bible was that relevant, that real, and that truthful. All right? Let's go ahead and go to Mark 14. These seven feasts produce a clear point and are the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. They illustrate the sequence, the timing, the significance of the major events of the Lord's redemption of man through the cross. When completed, they will bring this age to a triumphant end and usher in the, glo- the golden age that is to follow. Look at with me in verse 12 of Mark chapter 14. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread... When they killed the Passover lamb, in your Bible, next to the word Passover, write Exodus chapter 12. Who knows what Exodus chapter 12 is? The plagues were coming upon Egypt. The death of the firstborn is coming. And God says, take a lamb, slaughter it, put the blood on the doorposts. And when death comes, you will be passed over. Jesus is the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12. 
Do you guys remember when, what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus at the Jordan River? Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was taking his mind back 2,000 years to the story of Moses and the Passover, Passover Egypt going, ding, 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 wow, it's here. But a lot of them were confused that the Messiah was coming as a military conqueror to deliver Israel from the occupation of Rome and set up his kingdom on earth. So this is what threw off a lot of the disciples that they, they weren't getting it. They were looking for a military man. And when he died on the cross, their hopes were dashed. But three days later, what gave them hope again? The resurrection. And then they understood all of this. And then the whole bigger picture came together. And then they all died martyrs except for John the Apostle, the Apostle of Love. And he was, he, they tried to kill him by putting him in a vat of oil. And he couldn't die. I mean, imagine... He's like, you know, in the vat of oil. And they take him out and they isolate him to the island of Patmos. And we have the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is the other key that unlocks the future of what is coming. The old teaches us about what happened in the past. We fully understand it. The gospels, actually the gospels are the conclusion of the Old Testament, actually. Because the New Testament hasn't been established yet until we had Jesus commenced with the juice and the bread at the Passover, which we'll look at. And then the coming of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament began with the church. So really, you look at the Gospels as the closing or the finality of the Old Testament. It's kind of like the crescendo of the Old Testament. Jesus was celebrating the Passover. As we said right here in verse 12. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare? So 2,000 years later from Exodus chapter 12, they're still celebrating the Passover meal. And today, 4,000 years later, you are still celebrating the Passover today. Huh? What? I'll explain it to you. But the Jews in Israel are still celebrating the Passover today. 4,000 years later. Do you know of any holiday that's still being celebrated 4,000 years later? I think we got some history to connect back to, to affirm Christianity of where we came from. We do. Look at verse 13. And he sent out his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and to the men, they will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. And wherever he goes, say to the master's house, Teacher, where is the guest room in which we may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then we will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared, make ready for us. And his disciples went out and they came into the city and found it just as he had said. And they prepared the Passover meal. Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, which was, in, was, which was Israel's National Independence Day from Egypt, starting in Exodus chapter 12. That was their Independence Day. America has its Independence Day. But then, Israel's modern Independence Day, do you guys know when that is? 1948 is Israel's modern Independence Day. So Exodus chapter 12 was their Independence Day from Egypt. 
And then here we are today in 1948. They are brought together back into a nation. They're sovereign again. And they are an independent nation. So communion for the church today. You know what that is? You know what you're celebrating every time you take communion? Your independence day. You are celebrating the day you became independent from sin and death. And you became dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So communion for the church today is celebrating our independence day from sin and death. Through Christ who is our own Passover lamb. The fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12. We are now no longer dependent upon sin nor dominated by death. But delivered by the cross to live the life God has for us. So now you're charged to go into all the world and live it according to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. See, you and I aren't handcuffed, we're not headlocked, we're not armbarred, we're not choke-holded to go out and fulfill the gospel. I get to do it. I get to sow the gospel. I get to share the word of God with people. And it just flows out of me because it's who I am not who I have to be. And that's the pressure in evangelism. You don't have to do it. It just becomes who you are. It's a natural product of you being grateful what Jesus has done in your life. Shortly, we're going to partake of communion today. And when you hold the bread and you hold the juice, you are celebrating the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12. You are celebrating that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was the Passover lamb slain for you. Just like the lamb in Exodus 12 was individually slain for each family and they were freed from Egypt's grasp. This world is a pseudo-type of Egypt. Every day it enslaves people. It cracks the whip. It says, more straw. It says, we're going to take away more straw and you must give more. Sin in this world always takes more than what it says it'll give you. It says it'll give you fame. It says it'll give you friends. It says it'll give you girls. And it gives you so much more. And then it takes back so much more in the eternal age of suffering. What makes hell to be hell is that God is not there. And what makes heaven to be heaven is that God is there. We are now no longer dependent upon sin nor dominated by death because we have been delivered by the cross. Here we're going to look at the Passover lamb. Jesus is the prophesied Passover lamb in scripture. Now, if you, I hope you can see this chart. I would highly encourage you, if you can't see it, don't worry about everybody around you. Get up here, come sit closer, because I'm going to have a better chart that's going to reveal even more. And if you stay in the back, you're going to be like, man, why didn't I just humble myself and just say, okay, I'm going to go see this chart. Now, this chart, there are seven. Do we have a, a red laser pointer, maybe? No? Uh, there are seven holidays in the Jewish calendar, okay? There are four in the spring. The Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits, and Pentecost. Those take place between March and between May. The thing you need to realize between the Jewish calendar and our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, is there are 354 days in the Jewish calendar. 
And there are 365 days in our Gregorian calendar. That's why the Jewish holidays are always different according to every year in our calendar. And the Jews today have a 13th month to make up that gap because one day they would have spring in the summer eventually because they don't have the exact numbers to make a whole entire year. Now, there's a three to four month period between the spring feasts and the fall feasts, which are in September and October. Now, the thing I'm going to point out to you is the Passover, the unleavened bread, and the Feast of First Fruits all take place within about three days. They happen very quick and they're all in one week. And then you have Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, which happens 50 days later. If you're already studying your Bible and you know about your Bible, you're already connecting the dots. But if you're not sure, I'm going to help you connect all the dots. And then we have the three to four month period. And then we have the Feast of Trumpets. Can you guess what that one's going to be? And then we have Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacle. I'll reveal these more specifically. But Jesus basically fulfills all four first feasts from Leviticus 23. Now take this. If Jesus fulfilled the first four, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to fulfill the last three. Okay? So let, I'm, trying, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to save some tricks for my bag. So I can, oh, wow, okay. So we're going to look at Jesus as the prophesied lamb. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament feasts. Now, I'm not going to drag you kicking and screaming through um, Leviticus 23. Okay, I'm going to keep you in the New Testament, and then I'll give you the references to the Old Testament verses that will help you see Jesus in the Old Feasts. Now, these feasts or holidays were put into practice almost 4,000 years ago, and they still have a powerful influence. Good drop. <laughs> we would not be a good relay team for the USA, huh? No, that would be, that would be horrible. <laughs> good thing we preach the Bible. And they still have power and influence over culture and worship in Israel and the church today. Now, I'm not here to say you have to celebrate the Jewish feasts. I'm not here saying that. Because to a point, Jesus fulfilled them. Now, we, sell, we can celebrate them because we're celebrating his faithfulness in what he has done, looking in the past. And then we celebrate the other three, knowing his faithfulness in the future will come. So, it's really up to your conscience I don't particularly celebrate them, but I wow, and I'm amazed over the whole thing. Now, basically, Easter and Good Friday, we do celebrate those because they are in conjunction um, here with the Bible, too, as well. I was standing here going, why do I have this in my hand? I can't, I can't remember. Someone remind me. What's this for? Okay. All right. I'm not the brightest star in the bag, um, but hey. <laughs> okay, the Feast of Passover comes from Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 5. And still, 2,000 years later, the Jews are celebrating it. And today, almost 4,000 years later, we, the church, the New Testament, are still celebrating the Feast of Passover. You say, Rich, I've never celebrated the Feast of Passover. 
Every time you take communion, you're celebrating that Jesus was the Passover lamb and he fulfilled Exodus chapter 12. Now here in... Oh, I grabbed the wrong one. I thought this was my button controller. The fulfillment of the feast of Passover is redemption. Jesus died for our sins. Passover is Israel's feast of deliverance with Exodus 12 as the key passage. The innocent lamb died for the firstborn because the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of the house by faith. So the firstborn sons were saved from death. To reject the blood of the lamb was to accept judgment and death. So when the Jew put the blood on the doorposts and on the oh, the header, if you notice, it wasn't put on the threshold or the door plate. Because Jesus, the, Paul says in Hebrews, you should not trample the blood of Christ. So it was only put on the doorposts and on the header. To reject the blood of the lamb was to accept judgment and death. So they were rejecting judgment and death. And today when you take communion, you are saying no to death and no to judgment. And you are saying, thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ. And I'm sorry, thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ. And thank you for the grace and love that you give me every day. The lamb here in Exodus chapter 12 and Leviticus 23, the story typifies Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God, who shed his blood on the cross for a world of lost sinners. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For also Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Passover was the beginning of the Jewish calendar, and when sinners trust Christ, it marks for them the new beginning or the new birth of their life. So just as they celebrated Passover in Egypt, guys, this is a whole new world. This is a whole new life for us. And they left Egypt. They were no longer enslaved. They no longer had people tell them when to get up, when to go to bed. Because, you know, sin and death, they task you and say, it's time to get up. It's time to go to bed. It's time to go to work. It's time to go play. It's time to eat. Sin and death dominates every moment of your life. And now in Jesus Christ, you're set free to go do whatever you want. Remember he told the woman caught in sin, go and sin no more. He didn't have any mandates on her life. He didn't dictate every point of her day. He just said... Go enjoy life and don't sin. The greatest fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is self-control. See, prior to being forgiven of your sins, all of us had no control over ourselves. Sin and death dominated every moment, every tick, every second on the clock of every moment of our day. And today you're free to go and walk about how you want to walk. And if you choose to want to submit your daily schedule to the Lord, you pray and you say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And the Holy Spirit begins to engage in your life and he speaks to you. He leads you and guides you, gives you uh, divine appointments to interact and engage with people and for his wonders to work through your life. And you say, 
I've come so far from Egypt. Myself, 21, I had been arrested twice, um, multiple drugs, things, anything you could pretty much do. My mother was 15 when she gave birth to me. My daughter is turning 15 in a few in a few days, I just think I just can't I can't think my mom was 15 when she gave birth to me. I still I'm 43 and I've never met my father today. And I think of coming out of Egypt and all that I came from and who I am today, 22, 23 years later, I just say, Thank you, Lord, that I don't live in Egypt anymore, and that I'm not tasked by sin and death anymore. And I have the ability to walk free in Christ. Instead of drain people and leech life out of people, I get to pour life into people. And I just say, Lord, thank you for making me a life-giving spirit. No longer one who sucked life and dominated life and took from people. Stealing was one of my biggest sins. Drugs, promiscuity, lying, deceiving... I can remember growing up with my mom, we would have a potato and a piece of bread in our house. Our landlord wouldn't fix the heater, so we slept in the kitchen next to the stove. My mom, I remember seeing my mom cry every day over the, it, whether the bills were going to be paid or not. And I was a latchkey kid. From the time I was probably in third grade, I was coming home by myself on my bicycle, you know, and coming home and being by myself in television raised me. And I look back and I say, married with children for almost 20 years, programmed my head, and my mom allowed me to watch it every day. And now I pass through the channels and I go, wow, that's what I watched every day. No wonder what my problem is, man. Lord, help renew me, refresh me, give me a new spirit. Because who I am, um, it was Richard back there, he saw my son and he goes, he goes, your son's a chip off the old block. I go, yeah, chip right off Adam's block. <laughs> you know, you just say, one day my son, we were hanging out in the backyard and we were building bonfires and tearing apart pallets, just enjoying everyday life together. And he goes, dad, I want to be just like you. I was like, wow, one out of my four kids wants to be like me. Yes, okay, that's not bad odds. But I turned to him and I looked at him and I said, son, you don't want to be like me. As much as I wanted to take that to myself, as much as I wanted to wear that as a badge, as much as I wanted to own that, I had to turn my son to Christ and say, no, you want to be like Jesus. Because I'm a man undone. I'm a man working and growing under the process of Christ, renewing me. And Lord, give me strength. And I want to point my son to the cross. See, and the major thing we're trying to teach our children is you don't have to be perfect because I'm not perfect. When my child is screaming at someone or screaming at me or screaming at their siblings, I say, I know I struggle with the same thing. And I'm just like you. A man who struggles every day in, our, in his body. Let's just humble ourselves and let's choose to do the right thing. See, I'm trying to teach my children that I'm not above my children. I'm right on the same level struggling through life. Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. And let's study the Bible and let's grow together. That the Holy Spirit might work through us. Because I know who I am in my heart. And I have to turn my children and I have to turn my family to the Lord. And hopefully my, my, my son one day, he has confessed Christ. He's already been baptized. But 
It's a whole nother walk when he chooses to leave the home and begin to walk every single day. Let's turn to Mark chapter 15. Look at verse 22. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, and he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour. It was basically about 9 a.m. And they crucified him. This is where they began to put the nails in his wrists, the nails in his feet. And they began to put him up on the cross. Now, I'm going to teach about the cross in the gospel. I'm going to teach about the disciples with Jesus coming tomorrow and in um, Wednesday. On how to apply all this to your life in your daily life. But the disciples here, they didn't fully know what was going on when Jesus was on the cross. And you know the veil that was behind in in the temple in the holiest of holies? There was something going on galactically behind that scene that no one saw except for the Father and the Son. And it's not even recorded in Scripture for us. Now Paul teaches in the book of Hebrews that the tabernacle and the temple are a shadow of the real temple that exists in eternity. So what we see laid out in Numbers and in the book of Leviticus... It actually really is here. The Bible says that there are three heavens. There's the heavens where you see birds fly and airplanes fly. There's the second heavens where you see the sun, moon, and stars. And then you see the galaxy. And then there are the third heavens where God's throne room dwells. That no one can get. We can't even get to the outer galaxy or even to another galaxy in itself. And yet God can say, hey, let's go down and let's see what they're up to. And an angel can appear from the third heavens into earth instantly. And here we see Jesus is crucified. Now the whole purpose that the Romans designed crucifixion was capital punishment. Now this was designed to to bring death. But ultimately, the thing that's amazing about Crucifixion is designed to prolong life and create excruciating pain. So death would be prolonged and they would beg to be killed. But Jesus did not suffer that long. He suffered about six hours through that period of time. And here, the third hour, Christ suffered the wrath of man. When Jesus, the high priest, offered himself as a sacrifice, his time in the altar was in two stages. For the first three hours, he suffered the wrath of man. Back in Leviticus 21 and 22, the tabernacle was divided into three sections. There was a large outer court, then a smaller enclosed area that included two sections, the holy place and the most holy place. In the outer court was the altar of burnt offerings, and the laver was for washing. In the holy place was the table with bread, an altar with incense, and a golden lampstand. On the day of atonement, some of the priests accompanied the high priest into the holy place. The holy place. They performed their ceremonial duties in the light that shone from the lampstand. 
Hebrews 9 verse says, verse 6 says, Now when these things had been prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing his services. But that was as far as any priest could go except for one. Who do you think could go farther? The high priest. Hebrews 9, 7. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So Jesus is getting ready to go into the Holy of Holies himself and offer his own blood to the Father. Now in Leviticus 23, verses 6 through 8, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The fulfillment of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is sanctification. Christ was buried, and we are separated from our sins. Just as Jesus was unleavened bread, just like the Jews celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread with unleavened bread, Jesus was the unleavened bread that was hidden in the tomb for you and I, and that act separated us from our sins. For seven days following the Passover, the Jews ate only unleavened bread with their meals, and they carefully cleansed all the yeast out of their homes. In many places in Scripture, leaven depicts sin. So the putting away of leaven illustrates the cleansing of one's life after they have been saved through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. We also see in the New Testament scriptures the leaven of malice, the leaven of wickedness, the leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of false doctrine, the leaven of Herod that represents pride and worldliness, and the leaven of the Sadducees that represent unbelief. So just as leaven spreads inside of the dough that makes the dough rise, so unbelief can spread in the body of Christ. So wickedness can sp- spread in the body of Christ. So hypocrisy can spread in the body of Christ. And so false doctrines can spread in the body of Christ. Now, as we looked in verse... Did we read verse 33 yet? Ah, no, we didn't. Let's jump to 33 in Mark 15. Now, when the sixth hour or noon on the Jewish time or the time clock, had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Remember there was three days of darkness in the book of Exodus during the ninth plague? Here, the sixth hour, Christ suffered the wrath of God. Remember where he cried out and said, Father, why why have you forsaken me? He suffered at the hands of Rome and the betrayal of the Jews, and then now he is suffering the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being poured out upon Jesus, so the wrath of God is not poured out upon us today. The holy place was as far as any of the priests could go, except for only one could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. When Jesus, the high priest, offered himself as a sacrifice, his time on the altar was in two stages. Here, the second stage on the altar, Jesus entered alone into another compartment in time behind the veil of darkness. During these three hours, Jesus suffered the wrath of God in the cosmic holy of holies, of which the tabernacle was just a shadow here on earth 
But when he was gone for those three days, he was in the Holy of Holies before the Father. Hebrews, if you want to note it, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7 through 12 has the reference to this. That one, the high priest, went beyond a thick curtain into the most holy place, also known as the Holy of Holies. No one else could enter there. No one ever witnessed the high priest's work. The light from the lampstand could not penetrate the veil. And no one except the Father and the Son witnessed this work. Even the scriptures leave no record of this. Now, when you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says the death of Jesus Christ gives us access. This word access here means entrance to the king through the favor of another. So you and I have access to the Father through the favor of Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel was kept from God's presence by the veil in the temple. And the Gentile world was kept out by a wall in the temple with a warning of death. Now listen to this. The Jewish tradition says the temple curtain in the Holy of Holies was about four inches thick, 60 feet in length. Its width was about 30 feet and it weighed about four tons. Do you think man could rip that? And it says it was ripped from the top to the bottom. It took 300 men to hold it. When Jesus died on the cross, he tore this Goliath veil from top to bottom and it broke down the middle wall of separation and granted us full access to the Holy of Holies. See, the Jews, the Jew, the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, but that veil separated you and I from the throne room of God. And that veil is gone today. That veil that you could not penetrate. Obedience, righteousness, doing the right thing. And you have now full access to the very throne room that I told you. That's in the third heavens. Is that not amazing? Anytime you want to go and pray. Anytime you want petition. You can go and you have access to him. Now let's look at the feast of first fruits. In Mark 16, but we also see in Leviticus 23, 9 through 14, we see this feast is laid out. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning. What were they, what kind of Messiah were they expecting to find? A dead one. (laughs) But boy, are they going to be surprised. And they came to the tomb where the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone? But they looked up and they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed with a long white robe. Listen to this one. This is a gem. Jesus was put into a virgin tomb. What gave birth to him? A virgin womb. So he went from a virgin womb to a virgin tomb that no man had ever laid. The virgin womb gave birth to his first birth. And the virgin tomb gave birth to what? His second birth. Scripture is just amazing how it strings together. Verse 5. Then entering the tomb they saw the young man. Verse 6. 
But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place. Look, I'll even show you the place where he laid, if you don't believe me. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. And he said to you, So they went out quickly, and they fled from the tomb, trembling and amazed. And they had said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, verse 9, when he rose early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. Anybody know how long Jesus was alive on the earth before the ascension happens in Acts chapter 1? Anybody, any takers? Forty days, a month, and one week. Could, could Rome uh, hide it? Could Rome put up a tabloid and try and write, and write it away? He ate, drank, slept, hung out with everybody for 40 days. It wasn't like he was around for a two-hour, three-hour tour and then just took off up to heaven. He showed himself for 40 days. Now, the thing I want to tell you what's so unique about the gospel of Jesus Christ, most cults or old cults are started by one person having a vision alone by himself, by an angel or a spirit, or having a self-revelation of some kind privately. No one witnessed it. He goes and he shares it with others, and the others go share it with him. But Jesus was alive for 33 years. And he had a public ministry for three years. He publicly taught, he publicly healed, and he publicly resurrected from the dead. He publicly lived for 40 days, resurrected from the dead. Did Jesus receive it privately? Did the disciples receive it privately? No. It was a public ministry. Cults and old cults, it comes for one person privately receiving it. And no one else knows where it came from. But Jesus... It was a public ministry. And then all those people, people who publicly witnessed it went out and told everybody else. And everything is publicly written here all the way back to time from Exodus chapter 12, 4,000 years ago, all the way to creation. We can trace our faith. How many other beliefs can do that? None of them. The Mormons and the Jehovah's, they can only go back maybe 200 years around the establishment of America. And we can go all the way back to Jerusalem 4,000 years ago and say, that's where my faith starts. Amen. The Feast of First Fruits. The fulfillment is the resurrection. Christ rose from the dead. The Sabbath that followed Passover, which would be the first day of the week, the priest took the first sheaf of barley... From the field. Anybody involved in farming and agriculture on a daily basis in here? Anybody? One? Okay, listen. The priests, the priest would, he would take on the first day of the week, he took the first sheaf or the first harvest portion of the harvest of barley from the field and he waved it. Now this is 4,000 years ago. As an offering before the Lord. It was a symbol that the first and the best belonged to God. It was done before Israel reaped the harvest. 
It was also an expression of gratitude for their harvest in supplying their daily needs in giving the Old Testament picture of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. That is my first fruits. I seek the kingdom of God. And what do I trust? He will provide all of my needs. So here, the feast of first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, and Paul says he is the first fruit. He is the first sheaf that was from the resurrection. And you know what happens? Because he is accepted, all of us will be accepted in the rest of the harvest of souls. And so Jesus is called the first fruits in the Bible. Now, there are four truths that are revealed here in the New Testament. Number one, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them who died. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep. The second truth that is revealed in the New Testament about the Feast of First Fruits. God accepted the sheaf. For the entire harvest. And because the Father accepted Jesus Christ, so we are all included in the harvest. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on the beloved. Number three, the third truth. Jesus as the priest waved a sheaf of barley, representing the annual harvest of the crop that was soon to come. What season are we in right now? We're in the fall where the crops are getting ready to be harvested. When we were driving here and we were looking at all the, all the wheat and all the corn and all the beans that are turning white, they're getting ready for harvest, it reminded me of all the souls that are ready for the harvest to come. Jesus is now what one day his people shall be. And at the resurrection harvest, we shall be like him. Number four, Jesus as this ritual took place on the first day of the week. It is significant that Jesus rose from the dead also when? On the first day of the week. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day of the Lord that he has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A lot of people quote this verse about today, but Psalm 118, verse 24, Jesus fulfilled. And Psalm 118, verse 24 was pointing to the day Jesus Christ would be resurrected. And there's another verse in the Old Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled. I have heard it said before that out of all the prophecies Jesus fulfilled... For someone to just fulfill one of them would be like filling the state of Texas three feet with gold coins. Imagine yourself up in a helicopter and taking one that you've painted red and you dropped it into the state of Texas. And that helicopter let you down somewhere in Texas on a rope and you randomly just went to pick one coin and you happened to grab the red one. That's That's the ratio of... Jesus just fulfilling one of the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled throughout the whole entire Old Testament. Okay, number four, the Feast of Pentecost. 
Pentecost means 50. Can anybody guess what this one is? What happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came exactly on the Feast of Pentecost. Was it an accident? No. The timing of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me see back to this real quick. Remember I pointed out to you? From the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus is the first fruits. He resurrected on the actual holiday, the Jewish holiday of the Feast of First Fruits. Pentecost means 50. You know what the time frame of the Jewish calendar is between First Fruits and Pentecost? Yes, 50 days. So the Holy Spirit came right on time and Jesus resurrected right on time. Jesus was alive on the earth for 40 days. And then from the time the day of Pentecost came was 10 days. Acts chapter 1, ver, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says he was alive for 40 days. So from the time Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2 happens, 10 days pass between those two chapters. And the Holy Spirit came right on time. Okay, so if Jesus fulfilled these four, what do you think, he, what's, what do you think is going to happen to these? They're coming. Watch, I'll explain to these briefly. I'm not going to be as detailed with those uh, for the sake of of your mind and your tush. So we can uh, move on with our evening. But uh, back to number four, the Feast of Pentecost. The fulfillment is the inauguration, the birthday of the church with the coming of the Holy Spirit. This special day was also called the Feast of Weeks. Because it was celebrated seven weeks after the first fruits, the feast of first fruits. Now, Pentecost, it means 50. And since the feast of Pentecost was held seven weeks after the feast of first fruits, it too was on the first day of the week. The fulfillment of this image is when 50 days after Christ resurrected, the Holy Spirit came and united the believers into the church by the Holy Spirit. Now, instead of the priest waving the sheaf, as we saw in the Feast of First Fruits, he waved two loaves of bread baked with leaven. Now, have you seen unleavened bread and leavened bread before? Unleavened bread's really thin, like a pita pocket type thing. And then you got our American thick hamburger buns and Wonder Bread that you can't ever get out between your teeth. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would have unleavened bread. Now, here in the Feast of Pentecost, they would use leavened bread. Is this just some random thing, you think? Watch. Now, instead of the priest waving sheaves before the Lord, he waved two loaves of bread baked with leaven, later being revealed and understood that the two loaves represented the Jews and the Gentiles both being reconciled unto Christ, the first fruits baptized into one body on the day of Pentecost. Now notice there is leaven in the two loaves of bread because the church still has what in it today? Sin. But Jesus, the unleavened bread who went into the tomb, the reason why it was unleavened because he was sinless. The church will not only be holy without blemish, Ephesians chapter 5, 27, until it sees the Lord in glory. Now let's 
Now, I want to bring you back, and we're going to start looking at the prophecies of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We were looking at the Lamb of God, Jesus as the Lamb who would be slain, and now we begin to see Jesus as the, la- the Lion in the latter three feasts of the Jews. Now, this that I brought up for you. If you notice, wait, why am I doing this? John brought me this nice little fandangle right here. You got the Feast of Passover. Look, Jesus right here died on the cross. Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was buried. The first fruits, the stone was rolled away. He was resurrected. Fifty days later, the, the Holy Spirit came in the Feast of Pentecost. Look what we're in. The church age. This is the summer harvest period. It's about three to four months on the Jewish calendar. So you have March to October. We are waiting for these three to be fulfilled. But look what we're in. The church age is during this three to four month period that's between the first four, Trump, or first four feasts and the latter three that we're still waiting for Jesus to fulfill. Now, here we have... Jesus fulfilled the first four at his first coming, and he served as the Lamb of God, and he had his priestly ministry. Now, look right here. These four happened within about three to four days. When Jesus took the bread at Passover, when we read in Mark chapter 14, he established the new covenant, the new bread, the new wine. You will do this in my body. You won't be celebrating Exodus chapter 12 any longer as Jews because I'm the fulfillment of it. So you'll partake of my body, my blood. So from the time that happened, that meal, and from the time Jesus resurrected was about four days. And then, as I pointed out, 50 days transpired. And then we have the, these are to be fulfilled at his second coming. The lion of the tribe of Judah and his kingly ministry will take place. Now, here, between the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Atonement is the 70th week of Daniel. Now, 69 weeks of Daniel have been fulfilled. But there's a lull between the church age. And we are waiting for the 70th week of Daniel. And the 70th week of Daniel happens between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be a time period of seven years. you got the three and a half year, which is the peace treaty. And then you have the three and a half years, which is it will be broke by the Antichrist. And then you have the great tribulation that enters in. And then you have the second coming of Jesus Christ, which he stops it all. And then what do you think the Feast of Tabernacle is? The millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which you and I will reign together with Jesus Christ. See, this is one Jewish calendar. The Feast of Passover started in March. The Feast of Tabernacle ended between September and October. This was one entire Jewish year. But watch this. It represents the entire Christian era. Basically, the whole entire Jewish calendar is a prophecy of the whole entire Christian era. From the time Jesus Christ ate the Passover meal 
all the way to his second coming where he puts to end the great tribulation is the whole entire church era. Are we a blip on the screen or what? In America, we're what, 250 years old? Look how old Israel is. Look how old Jordan and Egypt and all those other countries. And have you wondered how much longer we're going to stay on the stage and on the scene? Uh, Let's see if I can find a good chord. Imagine briefly with me if you can. See this cord, how it goes all the way into the wall and the sound guy's stressing out because I'm pulling on it. (laughs) Imagine this black cord, this whole entire cord here is eternity. We're right here on the tip. The church age is such a small period of time, but doesn't it seem like it's forever? It seems like it's going forever. I'm going to fall and hurt myself. How'd you break your leg? Oh, just preaching, being a dummy. So you got the four-month interval, the entire age of the church, and Jesus will fulfill the last three feasts. The Feast of Trumpets. You know what the fulfillment is? The rapture, the regathering of God's people. The final three feasts were celebrated in seven in the seventh month, which is our October and September. The priest blew the silver trumps in Numbers chapter 10 for only three occasions. To call people together, to announce war, and to announce a special time such as a new moon feast. The Feast of Trumpets was held on the first day of the seventh month and ushered in a new civil, civil year of Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Unlike our modern New Year's Day, what do we use it for? Drinking and partying and revelry. Not we, but referring to the world. See, I almost threw you off. Unlike our New Year's Day in modern society, the Jews issued the first day of their New Year for prayer, meditation, and confession. They sought to make a new beginning with the Lord as each year transpired. If the Christian life is a dead-end street, then why don't we just get off of it? Some reject and rationalize away the resurrection to justify their sin. For if there is no afterlife, there are no consequences how I live this life. And if I embrace evolution and reject creation, then I'm saying I can live however I want and I won't be held accountable. See, if there's no consequence how I live this life, then I should get off. The first birth gives us that which is natural, but the second birth gives that which is supernatural. God rejects the first birth, the natural, and says, you must be born again. Do you guys remember through the Bible, God rejected Cain, but chose who? Abel. He rejected Abraham's firstborn, Ishmael, and chose who? Isaac. The secondborn. He rejected Esau, but chose Jacob. See, if we depend upon our firstborn in Adam, we shall be condemned forever. But if we experience the new birth, the second birth, we shall live forever. 
Do you notice that in the Old Testament? Abraham, I want my first kid. And God says, no, it's the second kid. Every time another picture that you see, it's the second birth, it's the second born that God always chooses. Now, one thing, if you don't believe in sin entered through one man, what doctrine can't you embrace? Righteousness imputed through one man. So the very fact that you look at Adam, sin entered to the world through one man, then you'll have a hard time accepting that righteousness entered to the world through one man. See, there's those images constantly throughout the Old Testament. But what reveals them? The new. It unlocks all those truths. The Feast of Atonement. It is The fulfillment is the second coming, the judgment, and then the repentance of the Jews. Remember? They will look... And they will see him who they pierced, and they will, re- they will mourn that they rejected and missed the Messiah as a nation. This is also the Feast of Sukkoth, or the Feast of Ingathering. This feast was celebrated with great joy after all the crops had been harvested and gathered. The joy was twofold, for it commemorated God's past goodness of provisions during their wilderness travels... And it commemorated God's present goodness and provision with completion of the harvest. When you read the book of Revelation and the Old Testament references that I have up here, it says you and I will go and celebrate the Feast of Atonement. We will go and celebrate these feasts with God. And we will too look back upon our earthly wilderness journey just like Israel did. When we're in the millennial reign and we're saying, God, thank you for your faithfulness. And wow, you did it. We are here today, gathered together with you again. He will gather. Sorry, wrong paragraph. The Lord will stand up in the great wrath to execute his judgment upon the wicked. The Messiah will do battle against his enemies at hand. And at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, will break the yoke of the Gentile oppression from the neck of Israel. See, this is what the apostles were looking for back then. But they didn't know it was for later. When he establishes his throne physically on earth, Israel will look upon him whom they pierced and repent according to Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. This will be the prophetic fulfillment of Israel's day of atonement. And the nation, as they come face to face in repentance with their Messiah at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, according to chapter 9, verse 24. And then we here we have the last Feast of Tabernacles. This is where the Millennium Kingdom begins. Jesus, I'm sorry, Satan is bound. After he is released again to tempt the nations... Death and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. He establishes the millennium kingdom and the gathering of all of his people. The feast was celebrated with great joy. Now, in the meantime, while you are waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lord has given you an engagement ring. Men, sorry, God's given you an engagement ring too. And you say, Rich, what are you talking about? Well, the engagement ring is the Holy Spirit. 
Just as a man gets on his knee and he gives an engagement ring and says, I will come and I will marry you after our betrothal period. Trust me, be patient and wait. The Holy Spirit was given to the believer once you confess. And you were given the engagement ring. The Bible calls it the the deposit, the guarantee of redemption. And so today, the Holy Spirit resides in us, which is the wedding ring, or the, I'm sorry, the engagement ring of Jesus Christ. And it says, he who has his spirit, he cannot deny himself. And so in the meantime, while you're waiting to be married and join Christ in the marriage supper of the Lamb, he has given you his promise that he will come and get you. And that promise is fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received Jesus as your personal Savior, you haven't received his engagement ring today. If the gentleman would come up and get ready to pass out communion together, we will partake in communion with one another. But first, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... You haven't received his engagement ring, as I mentioned, the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew scriptures we just looked at tell us that God provided the Messiah as his offering for sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the only sacrifice for sin today. If his sacrifice is rejected, there is only one tragic alternative that remains. Men and women will suffer the penalty for their own sin. This penalty is death and eternal separation from God. But to those who have received the Holy Spirit, this engagement ring, Scripture says, their sin I will remember no more. As we pray before we pass out communion... I'm going to clearly and obviously ask you if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And depending upon where you came from, how you walked in here, how you joined us today, today is the day and the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because He wants to take you and He wants to fulfill your needs, your hearts, your struggles, your pains, your burdens, whatever you came in here today with. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. And you don't have to carry your own burdens, your own weights, your own sicknesses, your family's sicknesses, your financial burdens, your burdens yourself. He says, I'll take them. You cast them upon me. And you let me be your Romeo. You let me romance you, love on you, and care for you. Because you don't have to go through this life alone. And you may be alone today. And he says, I want to have fellowship with you today. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And then we'll pass out communion. Father, we stand here today under your amazing scriptures today. We stand here among your amazing timeline of your work towards mankind. And we look all the way back to creation and see how you intimately, wonderfully, 
loved Adam and Eve and formed and fashioned everything around them. And they were the center of your creation to adorn that beautiful garden, that beautiful planet. And here today, Lord, you have us on this planet in our own journey and in our own walk of faith. And you have planted us all here today so we could be your hands, your feet, your fulfillment of the gospel to this world. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be poured upon us today, Lord, that you would be filling and refilling us with your Spirit. We would be casting off sin. We would be casting off selfishness, self-righteous works. And we would be putting on the clothes, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Whatever your burden is today, may you lay it to him. May you cry out to him. May you give it to him at this time. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you could go ahead and you could stand to your feet right now and say, I want to confess Jesus as my Savior. You want Him to be in you, and He wants you to be in Him. Lord, we just love you, and as we get ready for this bread, Lord, we want to celebrate your fulfillment of the Passover. In Jesus' name. If you would please hold your bread while we will partake together as a fellowship. Gentlemen, if you would pass it out, please. While you're waiting, you can turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11.
It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Now, if you note in your Bible, this is the prescription of how to take communion. And Paul is referring to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12. Just as Leviticus explains Exodus chapter 12 and how to celebrate it, here Paul is taking us back to the body and blood of Jesus Christ when he was celebrating Passover. And he's now teaching us the modern day Passover fulfillment. That as we partake of the bread and the juice, we are partaking remembering Exodus chapter 12, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the Passover lamb who was prophesied for us to be slain. And we today have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of our heart too as well. And we are looking at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered from you, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed. This is when Jesus was eating the Passover. He took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood as the Passover lamb. Do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you partake partake of it, remember me. And so today, if you stand with me, you are taking a stand today and saying, 4,000 years ago, Lord, it was prophesied that you would come and you would live a perfect life, a lamb without blemish, and you would, be, you would be hung on a cross in excruciating pain for you and I, that your blood would be shed as the Passover lamb, that you and I would be forgiven of our sins. Amen? Can you imagine when we read Mark 14 and he was eating the Passover lamb? What did he know about himself? I am the Passover lamb. Just as the disciples with Jesus got a a lamb without blemish, they kept it for the four days to make sure there was no blemish in it. And they slaughtered it and they ate it. Jesus is eating the lamb going, wow. What a trip, Father. (laughs) This is me. He came and He fulfilled it all that you might be fulfilled in all that you do. Let's pray together. Lord, we stand here by faith with this bread, this unleavened bread. And we stand here with this juice which represents the body and the blood of Your Son. And our mind trails all the way back to 4,000 years ago, reading the story of Egypt coming, or Exodus, I'm sorry, Israel coming out of Egypt. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from our taskmasters. We choose right now to forsake our sin, lay down our shackles, lay down our building of bricks for man, and take up the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that your fruit might be abundant in us, that we might seek first the kingdom of God, 
knowing that all will be added to us as we're kingdom seekers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake of your bread and your juice together. Afterward, as we dismiss, if you would like some prayer, you would like some encouragement, you got some struggles you would like to lay down, there's men up here in the front of the church that would love to pray for you and help you through what you're going through. Um, but we'll see you tomorrow evening. It was great having you. Thanks for, I'm, I'm talking to you like you came to my church or something. <laughs> it was great to have you guys. Go and enjoy what the Lord has for you. God bless.